More than ever, we are in need to share the gospel. And Church at the Mill can't wait to do that with you in this podcast series, where we talk about who we are as a church and what we value. Join us for this spiritual and financial journey more than ever. Hey, welcome to the More Than Ever podcast. I'm your host and senior pastor of Church at the Mill, DJ Horton, and I'm joined today by a very special guest. I'm going to introduce him in just a a minute as a friend and a brother and a leader and a pastor who actually leads a dynamic and fast-growing church in the upstate, a sister church of ours. But before I do, just a quick word about this podcast. Our whole desire in these more than ever installments is to help our listeners, members of Church at the Mill, people who care about Church at the Mill, or or maybe church leaders in other contexts who want to learn. You could very well just be a Christian who understands what God is doing in our church, or you've heard of our church, and you're tuning in to find out a little bit more. We we just wanted to have some more informal conversations as we culminate more than ever later this fall. More than ever, of course, is a spiritual and financial journey we're on. We're asking everybody in the Church at the Mill family to help us really attack some big goals spiritually and financially so that we can hammer down our debt and create the funds we need to launch more campuses and to see more life-giving congregations in the upstate, more specifically in our county here in Spartanburg County, South Carolina. Our vision at Church of the Mill is to do everything we can to become a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful multi-site church. Deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful multi-site church. And it's that multi-site part that I want to talk about with my good friend Wayne Bray, the senior pastor of First Baptist Church Simpsonville, also Upstate Church. Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, DJ. It's good to have you, man. Good to be here. Thanks for asking me. Just before I hit record incorrectly a few minutes ago and we got our technical (laughs) difficulties sorted out, you and I were both talking about our illustrious experience as podcasters, which I think between the two of us is about 30 minutes. And you have three three times the experience I do. So. <laughs> well, Wayne, how long have you been a pastor? Oh, man. Entered the call to ministry in 94. Mm-hmm. Uh, been serving as a pastor since the year 2000. So about 23. 23 All right. years, yeah. And how long have you been at your current church? Eight years. Tell us a little bit about it. So First Baptist Simpsonville is, uh, probably was and has been your stereotypical First Baptist Church in South Carolina. And uh, the one major difference, they did have multi-site, not only aspirations, but started growing out uh, with multi-site before multi-site was cool in a lot of ways. But then uh, during the years of uh, growth, they actually had um, some maybe strategic question marks, not sure how to do uh, what, when, and how. And and so they ended up, before I came, reducing that footprint of multi-campus. Right. And then by the time we actually revisioned, we, we closed much of what had started and restarted over in a lot of ways. But they really have been a church that's been all about reaching the lost and trying yeah. to impact the upstate for a long time. Yeah, one of the things that I notice whenever I build relationships with pastors, especially guys like you who I consider in my inner circle a close friend, is I always want to know uh, how they speak about their church. And you've always spoken so affectionately mm-hmm. of your people. I, I can tell they are an easy people to love. They are, yeah. And the, the, the weird thing for me was probably my stereotypes of First Baptist churches. So I had uh, never, I'd always joke around, I couldn't spell First Baptist before mm-hmm. eight years ago. I'd never be, attended a First Baptist church. And so, uh, but when I came, 
I think that I was a little surprised by maybe my a false impression or unfair, yeah. you know, stereotype. They really have always been. Just it's it's a family now. It really is, and God's uh, God's really knit our hearts together for sure. For those of you listening, just to orient you, because I'm not going to assume all of you are here in the Upstate. I hope I hope many of you are. But Spartanburg and Greenville are the two largest cities in the Upstate of South Carolina, and they really are sister cities. Uh, Greenville's a little bit larger, a little bit more progressive, a um, little bit further along in development. But Spartanburg has been catching up quickly. And they set from downtown to downtown about a half hour apart. Simpsonville sets south of Greenville and is really a, a bedroom community of Greenville. But like so many bedroom communities, it has grown in shopping and, and retail and commerce. And so there are many people who do life in Simpsonville and never go to downtown Greenville. Church at the Mill, we set on the west side of downtown Spartanburg and the same is true. This is where the new growth happened in the early uh, 80s and 90s. And so a lot of our people, uh, if they're traveling abroad, they would say, yeah, I'm from Spartanburg. And a lot of your people would say, yeah, I'm from Greenville, when actually they don't go to downtown Spartanburg or downtown Greenville very much. Mm -hmm. However, our communities, both yours in Simpsonville and ours in Spartanburg, is experiencing incredible growth. Recently, Spartanburg was recognized as the 12th fastest growing city in the United States. And a lot of times we get grouped together, Spartanburg, Greenville, but this was actually just Spartanburg. And you, of course, have seen the growth in Greenville. Our churches have been watching one another, and, and you have been a great mentor. I know you're going to chuckle, but you, you guys started the multi-site journey before us for a lot of different reasons. Mm timing and what you needed to do. So talk to me about when you arrive at First Baptist Simpsonville, Upstate Church, and there's two things in play I want to hear about. One is what God was doing in your heart to get to become multi-site, but also the context. Why did it need to happen for your church? Well, I think they had uh, they had a vision that was kind of what I, I jokingly say it was a Henry Blackaby model of multi-site. I don't know if that doesn't make sense because he never had multi-site churches, but right. it was kind of a find out where God's moving and, yeah. and just get involved. Go join in him. So, man, wherever God was moving, they threw a campus at it. So uh, the way that Simpsonville had approached multi-site is— uh, even culturally, you know, crossing over cultural lines, they had a Happy Trails Cowboy Church in Pelzer. Uh, they had uh, they had a, um, a, a Sunday night only worship service down in Lawrence in a movie theater. They had a downtown Greenville uh, campus called the Delta. It was I a, did not know. Yeah, that. bro. Yeah, yeah. Young adult. It was a young adult only, so it was almost like a singles ministry downtown Greenville. But they called it a campus, and it was great. It wasn't that any of it was not good. It just wasn't really but strategic. If, if you were a singles with a horse, you had to go to Happy Trail. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no no horses in Greenville. <laughs> but but the cool thing, I mean, they really did reach demographics and went into yeah. niches, I guess, that maybe a general, the, our approach may not be that effective to reach now. Well, it sounds like they were going for culture versus uh, a location or a campus. Yeah. There was no consistency across campuses. Yeah. Their campus constants were nothing was con constant. And it was just <laughs> it, but but so when I came in, I I've always just been really an intentional strategic guy. I maybe for better or for worse. I'm, no, that's your gift. But but it's, I'm overly pragmatic. I have to fight against pragmatism because I really do think, you know, finding the things that work and just go at them with mm -hmm. the, for the glory of God. And so um, we really just tried to find, okay, where's our destination and what steps uh, do we need to take to get there? And then let's start the journey. And that's kind of what we did. So I, we had to reboot everything. Mm. I had leaders day one saying, hey, when are we going to cut these campuses loose? Because we had campuses taking in, you know, 50% of their budget need. 
Um, they just weren't sustainable. They weren't. Uh, they were healthy in some ways, but not healthy financially or strategically from an organizational perspective. Right. So a lot of what we did is we start over. We started mm-hmm. over with the vision and and really re. Some people would say rebranded. We really came up with and felt like God was rebirthing us in a new identity for multi-site. Yeah. It didn't change our name or anything up front. Uh, mm-hmm. When we relaunched Harrison Bridge, what was First Baptist Simpson, but West Campus. Right. Um, we relaunched as Upstate Church. And I'll be honest, I don't even know back then that we were thinking, you know, we just go everywhere with Upstate Church. Mm. But it, it, in, inevitably, what ended up happening is God expanded the, our church and we connected with other communities. We just used that same name. Right. Everywhere we went and named it based on a geographical designation, either a, a, a town or a, a street. So it would be Harrison Bridge <clears throat> Road, Upstate Church. Upstate Church, Harrison Bridge. Got it. Upstate Church, Harrison yeah. Bridge. So the, the common denominator was Upstate Church. Now, that's what you inherited. What about you? As you roll in there, were you open to, did you see as a senior pastor the need for multi-site? Because pastors have been addressing growth. You know, there are pastors who are faithful who aren't growth agents. Sure. There are going to be a lot of pastors in heaven who faithfully uh, shepherded a flock of God mm-hmm. and did so... Um, uh, with with a beautiful sincerity, but n- never saw exponential growth. And then there are guys that that are growth agents that they just see growth. and And I think it's real important to celebrate the entire continuum or spectrum of how guys are gifted. You're a growth agent. You you love to see things grow. You love to see people reach. You have an evangelist heart. Mm-hmm. So, at what point did you come to the realization? Okay, the way to do this is not to expand centrally and make a larger singular campus, but to do multi-site. When did that click for you? Yeah, for us, it was um, in Atlanta. I was in Douglasville at Beulah Baptist Church and had been there for 10 years, long time. We had built a new worship center. We're we're doing great. We're growing. I mean, it was a medium-sized church, not near the size of of Simpson, even when we came there. But um, but God already started to kind of stir something in my heart in relationship to, I've always kind of been unconventional, maybe, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I heard other people doing multi-site mm-hmm. and uh, had a real heart for Villa Rica, which was about... I know where it is. 25 minutes, yeah, from Douglasville. And so uh, we, we talked with the school. It was a low-risk thing because... Um, Money-wise, it was a uh, it was a uh, uh, not much to lose, and we said, "Hey, let's let's roll the dice." We had about fifty to sixty younger people in our congregation who were willing to go for it and yep. seed, you know, kind of a core group. And so we we toyed with multi-site right. in the gym of an elementary school in Villarica, and yep. uh, we did that for a year, and it grew, it did well. But the the day that I left and came to uh, Simpsonville, uh, Beulah uh, decided to kind of mm. forego the campus and went back to their their original vision. But So I think God was kind of prepping me in a, in a weird way internally and in, in my heart for what he was going to do in, in the upstate. I know my answer, but I, I really want to take advantage of your wisdom in this. Um, so, you know, you and I pastor churches that are large, and statistically they're they're very, they're very, the vast majority of churches in South Carolina are 200 or less. Mm. So, you know, but you and I are the kind of guys that we, I never, I, I grew up in very small churches. I, I, I never even heard the term mega church. So, mm. so this is very much new to both of us in that we were not the sons of mega church ministries. That was not our experience. And we're also pastoring churches that are involved in church plants. 
So what's your answer to the person that says, well, why not plant these churches instead of go multi-site? Mm. Tell, tell me the difference and tell me why you chose one over the other locally. Yeah, usually my answer is determined by how somebody asked the question. So I've had people <laughs> ask the question like from a biblical perspective, kind of trying to almost say it's heretical to plant multi-site. Well, that usually gets more of an aggressive answer out of yeah, me, you yeah. know. And uh, but I but I would say, uh, you know, from a biblical perspective, I actually love to talk about the fact that Paul wrote letters to it's oftentimes circular letters to the church at Ephesus, the church at uh, Philippi, and all that. You know, mm-hmm. there's multiple church, you know, gatherings, the one one church really. So I love that. But I think with uh, with the heart of where where we are and the purpose uh, for our our doing it is really more logistic and strategic because if for me if i'm planting a church it's and we by the way we we believe in church planting we support church planters sure but i think it's completely different than transplanting so we consider multi-site church transplanting right and so when we plant a church it's a lot more difficult to get people on board to go be part of core group to be mm-hmm. Uh, to get our, our leadership to support them financially. It's not that we won't support them, but it's a much lower uh, percentage or, or effort. Of participation. Yeah, because you're you're really helping another church rather than helping and serving the purpose for your, your individual church. And so uh, we have found transplanting multi-site campuses be super uh, easy to, to challenge our people to get on board with becoming a core group. Yeah. Because we're able to say, you're not leaving the church. You're not, you don't have to, look, don't apologize to me. I'm actually asking you to go be a part of the core group. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. You know, you're you're listening to the vision of your pastor if yep. you say yes to this. So yep. I, and that has been super helpful. And then when I'm standing in a finance committee or I'm talking to a, a team uh, for personnel or I'm talking to the deacons, any kind of group of leaders, um, we're talking about expanding our footprint as a a local body of believers so it's it's just a lot easier to compel people to say yes to the vision because it's their church yeah i think about it in terms of i love how you talk about it from the layman's perspective mm. you know when a young man like you and i once were we're not young <laughs> anymore but when we were called to ministry you know there was a point where we we had to write that blank check and we would have done whatever the lord called us to do but when you talk to the average layperson uh who wants to be a part of something um, they're much more likely uh, to be mobilized uh, locally uh, than, than to uproot and to move to a city three or four states away. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we shouldn't challenge them to do that. In fact, I'm going to make the argument that the multi-site churches, which make that a part of their DNA, end up being better planting churches because people understand movement, and I like your word, transplant, mm-hmm. in, in regards to planting. Wouldn't you also argue, though, that our model, and you and I, we have some similarities and some differences in the way we're doing this, and I think it's been so cool because we're 30 minutes apart, and and it's been great to learn from one another Mm -hmm. and to laugh at one another. But our model really is limited geographically as well. In other words, I'm not not going to plant a campus in Idaho. You know, that's a church plant because I, I can't transplant whole teams of leaders and and knowledge, I could support a young man and his wife and some core families to move and get jobs, and we would do what we could there. But I can't act as though I can oversee him in Idaho. Would you mm. Would you agree with me in that? I do. In fact, I, I never, you probably had this happen before, but until two weeks ago, I would not say it's ever happened. I had a church in Georgia call me 
and and just basically, I'm in fact, I got a Zoom call with a guy this week, and um, and he's he's just wanting to know: is there any scenario in which we could come under your men? And we're like, well, it couldn't be a campus. How could that? So I'm I'm with you. That's yeah. too far away. It is. I don't know. Uh, I I don't know how. You know, some churches do cross over state lines. It seems like it would be impossible to me. Yeah, I, I think it is, and I think it. I I think I would have some theological concern mm-hmm. there. You know, the the other thing that that's the unattractive thing that we have to say in this is that is that uh, c- campus equals control, mm. and and in reality, there's a reason why healthier churches get healthier, and unhealthier churches get unhealthier. Sure, without repentance, without change. Now we love comeback churches. We love churches that have been revitalized. I pastor a church that had several crossroads in its history where it could have gone in any, in either direction. Uh, one of our podcasts is on the history of our church and um, uh, interviewed two of our senior adults, and they talked about how there were moments where they wondered, is this is this going to keep going? So our churches are not immune from those struggles, but when you are healthy and strong and unified and your vision is clear, people rally to that. And so the only way I can ensure that that's going to happen in another location in Spartanburg mm-hmm. is that I have the control and the accountability with those leaders. And that really only happens if they are not autonomous, if yeah. they are underneath. It's it's vision, but it's also doctrine. Yes. I, I've, I've mentioned that before, too, uh, in the conversation that if you're planting a church, I mean, two years from now, they could they could go, you know, absolutely Rogue. heretical. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And not preach the gospel. And so with campus expansion, you're able to have accountability and, right. and consistency of vision, to your point. And, and I'm able, and I'm sure you're doing the same exact thing, uh, we're able to um, actually mentor younger guys in a more productive environment. A I, more I, controlled I environment. Absolutely. I, I liken it to uh, either, I use a bowling or a football analogy. With the bowling, it we put the bumpers up mm-hmm. so, so they can learn to see what it means to strike pins without the fear of going off into a gutter and no one to support them. In football, I liken it to letting young men uh, preach and love people, and we block and tackle for them. Mm-hmm. In other words, we can set up the structures, and and not that that's uh, we're standoffish. We invite them to any meeting that they want to be a part of, and some meetings I require that they're a part of. But th- there's a generation of guys, we, we know the seminaries are crying this out. They're waving the white flag saying, we got a problem. We don't have enough guys wanting to be pastors. I read a statistic about the number of empty pulpits in your home state of Georgia, and it, it baffled me. Mm. And so when you flip it over and you go to young men, you go, okay, tell me, because God called you. Yeah, he's called me. I'm, I feel passionate about ministry. Okay, what do you want to do? Man, I want to communicate his word. I want to love, oh, you want to pastor? Oh, uh, you know, maybe Crusade, FCA, mm. maybe a student, <laughs> man. You know, can I work for you? You know, and, and then you, if you get under the hood and ask him, okay, man, what is it? And they've heard horror stories of guys getting eat up, sure. guys going and getting in fights. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about physical fights, but emotional, spiritual fights. So from a campus standpoint, how have you been able to mitigate that for these guys? So uh, some of it may be very, very similar to you guys, but so... Uh, we have one group of deacons. We have one uh, set of business teams. Same. Yeah, so they don't have to worry about any of that. None of my campus pastors have to go. Like you said, they can come to sure. those meetings, but they they never do. 
and uh, and I just kind of shouldered the the strategic leadership for the whole. Right. And it really is, in a lot of ways, kind of a dream situation. Um, in well, the you know, I've asked you to become. I want to be a campus pastor for you. <laughs> <laughs> mega merger. That's That'd what be we awesome, need to do, man. man. <laughs> we could write a book. That's a new term. A mega merger. That's what I'm talking about. A mega merger. <laughs> could we not take your debt? Uh, or we'd probably get it too, wouldn't we? <laughs> well, you, if you could have our debt without our giving. That's, yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that's huge. I mean, I, I do. I talked with a, a mentor uh, this morning who I had um, connected. Now, I, I try not to be super specific, but connected with a younger guy. Yeah. And he was just saying how the younger guy just didn't really want to necessarily um, you know, learn about how to run a church is the way he put it. He mm. wanted to. He wanted to teach, preach. He wanted to, but th- that's your point. I think some of the younger guys are intimidated by the yeah. nuts and bolts of actual, you know, uh, leadership in the church. Right. Yeah. And you know, one of the things my contention is, and and I think it's important. I'm going to point out the difference in where we are right now in, in numbers of campuses because you speak from a well of experience that I don't yet have because we're new to the multi-campus game, but. My 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 also, my conviction also is while I want to protect those guys, I also think if we set it up in a healthy way, then I'm going to hold their feet to the fire mm-hmm. to learn, because you know they they need to lead these campuses in such a way so that uh, the future is very unforeseen and we don't know mm-hmm. what the Lord would hold. But uh, um, we have not advertised in any of our campuses an autonomous date. In other words, people ask me, well, are you ever going to let your Woodruff campus or your Lake Cooley campus go and be an autonomous local church? I certainly would not say no to that, but what we've, we've just not felt convicted at this point to nail that down. For us, my best answer is I think it's going to come down to carrying capacity and maturity. And what I mean by that is, is that let's say, for example, Church at the Mill ends up with, I'll pick a number, eight campuses. I, I don't know the number. Sure. I don't think the number's 30, but I don't think the number's three. Mm-hmm. But let's say it's eight campuses. And let's say an unbelievable opportunity comes to us for a, 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 a new campus. But we really feel convicted that eight is about right for the number that we can hold. Well, there's another way to create some space. And that may be to look at one of our existing campuses and ask the question, does this campus have the strength and the solidarity and the giving and mm. the clarity for us to transition it from being a child in the home to being a sister church? Yeah. And, and I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I look forward to having that opportunity. Mm. And I think we'd make the decision based on our need and based on the preparation of the church. Have y'all gone down that path to think about that? Well, and here's what we look at from the very beginning. We use the terms investment investor. So every campus, when we launch it, we consider it an investment. But within five years, it needs to become an investor. Okay. So by investor, we mean not that it's paying the bills. We hope it's paying the bills by six months in, maybe right. maybe a year or two. But at least operating costs. Right. The capital know, can be hard. Staff, utilities, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but the investor status is when uh, based on in a comparison to our original centris, central campus, they are by ratio equal to 
the investor status of the downtown. So that's a that's a heavy ask. That and is. It's been it's been uh, nobody's reached it. Although they've. Been, I like that wording though. I've yeah, never articulated something like been that. Been really close a couple of times, but then we'll split a campus and it they'll go back down. So uh, yeah. um, long term, here's what I think the question would be for me: if a can if a campus got to a point where I think we as leaders got together and we said, you know what, I think we're better separate. Mm. I think we're we could accomplish more, more. for the kingdom. Yeah, and we could we could bring more glory to God. We could we could do better at the mission that we're called to accomplish. If we didn't, it's become an anchor, not a driver. I love that, you and know? that's I love that's so refreshing. I like the metric, not hey, we're ready to be independent. Give us our independence, right. or hey, you guys have been on the payroll long enough. We're ready to <laughs> cut. It's hey. What helps us see more people come to know mm-hmm. Christ? Is it you being autonomous? Or is it you and us still working together and you being under the family that we are, the family of congregations mm-hmm. that we are? And I think that's a, that's a great way to think about it. And the good news is, if that's a church's goal, then they're always going to get there, Yeah, whatever and, that looks like. And the weird thing is right now, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing, there's not even a question. If I were to, if I, were to I wouldn't have any problem sitting in a, a teaching team with my deacons watching and saying, "Hey guys, how many of y'all want to want to go out on your own?" Oh, they don't want to go. Not one of them. No, they they know we're doing more together than we could possibly do separate. And that's the, right. The church is all behind it and that kind of thing. So I do think that. But if a church got to the point, or if we ever get to the point to where we're starting to question that, mm-hmm. it'll be obvious. I think, yeah, you know? I agree with that. So let's talk a little bit of details. How many campuses does First Baptist Simpsonville Upstate Church have? So we have uh, six what we call official campuses, seven locations. It's a weird semantical kind of thing right now because we're in a process where we've merged with the church, but because of our definition of campus internally, uh, it's not yet a campus. Okay. We're, we're still in the process. We're still meeting. We have 25 people meeting there every Sunday. They they still have the pastor that was there um, preaching and but we're we're going through a process, so eventually uh, it'll become a campus. it'll probably become a campus. Yeah. Okay. So so you have six. We'll go. Let's just start six. Okay. So you have six. So rate. Uh, w- when was campus? Uh, w- we know that central. Your central. Do you guys use the word central? Yeah. Okay. So your downtown campus, your central campus. That's what we use. Mm-hmm. So central campus existed. When did the second one come on board? Uh, the relaunch was uh, two thousand eighteen. Okay. Simultaneously with five four. So five years ago. Yes. Yeah, so five years ago, we we really relaunched this Campus 2 and launched Campus 3. Okay, so you went from one to three in one move. It, it wasn't the same week, but it was the same year. Yeah. Both okay. in 2018. Okay, so that's five years ago. Six years ago, excuse me. No, five years ago. Then four and five were the same day, like uh, August two years ago. So that would have been August 2021. We launched... Anderson and Malden in one day. Okay. Yeah. A lot of prep getting ready for that. It was. We built up a big and, and Anderson was not a building. It was in a hotel. So a little yeah, easier. Yeah. Well, and Anderson is one of those things where I would say stretches the proximity, but you know the campus pastor pretty well. And it was yeah, right. Yeah. It's my son. It was yeah. very different too because we had a core built in with Anderson and Clemson because of students that had gone through our student ministry. Yeah, they'd come from First Baptist Simpsonville. Very much an anomaly, too, in the sense that it was 95% college students until we merged with Orville. Yeah. So recently, we just acquired about 40 senior adults to go with the other uh, college students. So pretty amazing. Yeah. But anyway. And then, so, so then when, so that's four and five. And then most recently, number six. Yeah. Haywood. We actually, this shows you, and I know this, again, I'm, I'm preaching the choir. You guys are the same way, but 
we honestly uh, were trying to do something. We were calling it an internal launch. We were uh, we're calling it a soft launch. I, I never had heard that terminology. I'm sure other people use something or have a better term for it. But we were just wanting to get the core group over there. We weren't going to change the sign. We weren't going to promote it. We didn't put it on social media, none yeah. of that. We just yeah. internally were moving the core group <laughs> to Haywood. Yeah. Well, bro, like and that was Easter Sunday. Word so we, got out. Yeah, word got out, and and uh, and they started like running 400. And so we had to do all kind of stuff. So now it's officially a campus without us really wanting to move that fast. So we got ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, one of the encouraging things is I've watched y'all screw up so much, and God keeps blessing <laughs> It's almost like we have plans, and he's like, that's really dumb, Wayne. We're going to do I know the plans different. I have for you, yeah. and they are not yours. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Every day. Uh, Bray, chapter 3, verse yeah. 16. <laughs> All right, so, so but, 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 but just for the listeners, that's pretty remarkable. From 2018... You know, to go from where you are today, to, from 2018 to today, that's that's pretty remarkable. Now, when you think about that, I think you and I have talked about um, uh, one of the things that um, you and I have differentiated on in our model, and it, I don't think it's theological, it's philosophical, and our model is is that when we launch campus, we have two, if you're listening and you don't know Church at the Mill, we have two, we don't use the term satellite because that has a lot of connotations to it. Mm-hmm. it creates the perception that they're not as important. And it also, some people think digital, like it's some, some sort of satellite beam in. But mm-hmm. but uh, our two campuses, one is south of us in Woodruff, and the other one is a little bit north and east of us up in the Lyman-Welford-Inman uh, community, Lake Cooley. And we have several more that we're hoping to online next year. But we, uh, we fully staff those. And so our model is about... Two full-time physicians for serve, full-time pastor, full-time associate pastor, and then part-time worship, part-time children, part-time students. Hopefully, those three part-times, if the growth happens, grow into full-time. So our goal would be four or five full-time employees for that congregation. Um, And that campus pastor, and this is where you and I do absolutely have it in common, preaches, live preaching. You've not done any of yours via simulcast, though you can use technology, that's probably why you and I, I think, have uh, resonated so well because mm-hmm. that's a deep-felt conviction. So so our motto is to staff these guys, and that's their exclusive, uh, and gals, their exclusive responsibility. You've actually had some incredibly gifted staff people that you've put in dual roles. Talk about that. Yeah, so dual roles. We do a little—I hope my guys aren't listening to you because you, you're you very generous with the number of staff you send. We, yeah. we're, we're a lot skimpier, but uh, some of it's probably because of our midweek stuff. We bring— Yeah, you stuff. centralize yeah. programming. We do not. So it makes it where we don't need as much up front. But um, uh, the, as far as— um, And I'm going to send this podcast to all your guys, especially <laughs> the ones I like. What was the question you just asked me? Well, talk about how you made the decision to say, okay, I— I, I've always imagined watching it from a distance. You're not distant because you're a good friend, but it's a speed thing. If you got, you, you just made the decision that I can launch campuses uh, uh, more quickly or more rapidly if I tap the guys on my oh, team gotcha. to yeah. go carry the weight of preaching <clears throat> versus waiting so I can fully staff. Yeah, so uh, I don't mind even saying a lot of our uh, learning came from um, and information came from the Unstuck Group, Tony Morgan, great resource. Anybody that is interested in multi-site and learning some stuff. But he really advised us to go uh, video 
venue. Simulcast. Yeah. yeah, he wanted us to do that and felt like, you know, that was... And so I, I gave him an idea of the vision we had, and he immediately gave the word unsustainable. He said, mm. Wayne, your model's unsustainable. There's no way... And and I didn't even have any idea how I was going to prove him wrong. I, you know or what God was going to do, basically. Right. But I, right. I I felt like back. And your, it's his job to say absolutely. what he thinks. But back to your conviction, I was I was like, man, I really I don't want to do the video video. I'm okay with other people doing that. I'm not shaming them. But our conviction is we want an individual shepherd opening the God's word absolutely in, in front of people. And I do think that runs yeah. deep enough for me to call it theological. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's an important factor. And so what we did to make it sustainable at least where we're at. Now, I will agree uh, with him that it's going to get hard again in another uh, short term. But uh, what, what's made it sustainable is giving these guys dual roles. So we have every campus pastor has a dual role that used to be a full-time job. Right. So in essence, my connections, we had a connections pastor that didn't preach. We had a, a groups pastor that didn't preach. We had a recreation pastor that didn't preach. These were all 10 years ago. They had these full-time positions. So what I, in essence, did is we we task these campus pastors with one of those full-time jobs. So they're preaching on Sundays and they're doing a full-time role uh, during the week. And so it really has made it more sustainable financially. Yeah. Now the challenge is going to be not burning out the campus pastors. Yeah. Because that's a lot of work. Yeah. And and it may have something to do also where you're a little bit, and neither one of us live in Manhattan, but you're in a little bit more congested area mm-hmm. in that I'm, I'm, I'm on the outskirts of Spartanburg. You know, our Woodruff campus is, 15, 20 minutes yeah. through a lot of woods and pastures. And and so, you know, we just, I just felt strongly in taking the conviction that you and I had mm-hmm. and pushing it one step further and saying to our team, that's your job. Now, will you be called upon to help with central tasks? Sure. When we have an all hands on deck thing, uh, we're recording this on a Monday. That's irrelevant other than the fact that Tomorrow, Tuesday is our all-staff day. Mm-hmm. All my campus guys and the entire campus staff will be with everyone else on Central Campus. So they frequent the campus. Right. But we want them to, if they can live, some of them still commute. But my lead guys, I want them to live near the campus, shepherd that campus, and be there full-time. But arguably so, it's not a right or wrong. That's caused us to have to go slower in that we have two campuses. Mm-hmm. You, you guys have six. Now, we started in 21, so we're about, uh, my math's right, three to four years behind mm-hmm. when you started, and you actually inherited uh, some baggage, but also there was a um, at least a propensity to think about multi-site. We, it was t- totally new for us. Absolutely. So when you think about m- m- multi-site, what would you say as a guy who has pastored, because you've pastored how many churches? This is my third. Yeah. Third church. Okay. I pastored one, probably through three phases, but mm-hmm. but still one. So there's some insight you have I don't have. If a pastor listened to this or one of my church members listens and shares it with their buddy who pastors mm-hmm. in you know Indiana or Louisiana, what do we say to the guys that are like, hey, man, that's a great liberty for you guys with thousands of members, but... Man, I'm I'm down here pastoring 300. Uh, can I be multi-site? What do you think? Yeah, so I think uh, what we were doing at Beulah, had God left me at Beulah, there would be no doubt we would be multi-site. Yeah. And we would be in multiple communities. I think the benefit of your model is community-focused. Yeah. We're, we're more gathering-oriented, which yeah. sounds weird, but 
But I would say that, um, that you know, smaller church pastor, that's really not even a small church. When I went to Beulah, I thought it was huge. I had 310 people in Sunday school mm-hmm. that day. You went and got a new suit, didn't right. you? Right. I mean, I thought, I was, holy cow, <laughs> these people are actually going to pay me to preach here? I can't believe it. Um, and so I, um, Beulah was the exact picture of a church that probably would say, man, I'm tempted, but I don't think we can do it. I think multi-site, the way you do it and the way we do it, any church in America could do it. Yeah, it may not look exactly the way you're doing it or I'm doing it, but it, we could you you can take some of the of the principles yeah. and apply them wherever you are. I think I, I agree. My one caveat would be to be all in on it once you figure out how to be healthy at home. Mm-hmm. In other words, if I were talking to a pastor who was struggling to see growth at, in his congregation. Uh, the last thing I would do would be to place on him a burden to try to reproduce that which is not healthy. Sure. And I've said for years from a pragmatic standpoint, and you are, uh, I think that's what makes you have such a good strategic mind because you do focus on pragmatics uh, or pra- uh, the what what works, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of have one foot in that world, but I'm learning from guys like you. And then I have one foot in the preaching and the theology mm-hmm. world where I live. But but I, I've watched this in South Carolina. I'm a child of Alabama. You born in Georgia, born and raised in Georgia, correct? Dothan, actually. Dothan, Alabama. Oh, that's right. Alabama fan. That's but right. I well, lived in Georgia my whole life. That's sorry, right. sorry. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, there's the proof of the grace of God that Roll. I would even allow an Alabama mm-hmm. fan to be on it. But the, um, the, we were all Colorado fans till recently, weren't we? <laughs> that's true. But uh, the, the, the thing I've noticed is, is that from a pragmatic standpoint, in the South, now, I'm not talking about Portland, Boston, right. in the South. If you will preach well, worship well, take care of people's children well, and engage adults in some form of intentional disciple-making, you can call it small group, Sunday school, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, mm-hmm. you, your church will grow. Yeah. And I, if you look at South Carolina, you've been president of the convention. I've been president of the convention. Sadly, very few of our churches can get three out of the four. I think that people would look at Church at the Mail and they look at DJ Horton. They would, they most people would probably again say, "Oh yeah, you're in that that church." There's no way if you were where I, I am. There's mm-hmm. no way you would be growing like you are. But here's the thing: I, I, and this is not a popular thing to say, and I'm, you know, whoever hears this may not like like me after this. But I pastored Oak Hill Baptist Church in Millen, Georgia. Five miles outside of town of 3,500, you could drive two miles either way from the church and not see a trailer. Mm. I and bet the hunting was good. It was good hunting, bro. They they hunt deer with dogs down there. Mm-hmm. But um, but that that was the church in five years that grew from 105 the day they voted on me right. to 250. We baptized 30 a year. Yeah, down that's there. more than in 100% the, growth. In the middle of nowhere, man. Yeah. I'm convinced what you just said is absolutely true. You you put somebody out in the middle of the woods that really, and I think part of it, though, is truth and grace. Yeah. I, and I think that's what's absent in most pulpits today is one of the other. Either yeah. they're all grace and a bunch of liberals or they're all truth and they're no legalistic. Grace, legalistic. Yeah. Yeah. And so a balance of that with half halfway trying about giving excellence in the that's area right. of worship and yeah. preaching and and your church will grow. I believe yeah. that. Yeah, I do too. Mm-hmm. And and I and I I've seen some guys in my life that are absolutely flourishing right now in support roles. Mm-hmm. I got some guys on my team, man. They are unbelievable in their role. Mm-hmm. They struggled in the senior pastor seat, mm-hmm. uh, but 
but had the humility to realize there was a better seat for them. Mm. And they're absolutely unbelievable in an associate role, in some sort of support role. And I also think there are guys out there, and you got some on your team, I got some on my team that have the gift and that we need to be unselfish about saying, you know what, man, you you need to be in the pulpit. And that's why I love the campus model. Mm. If I spot a guy who preaches well and has that authoritative voice, that, that voice of a prophet, um, I, I got a, at least a second option from just patting him on the back and mm. saying, God bless you, go find a church. I can put him in a campus. Sure. And he can wear it out. You know, I think about what you've done with your campus guys and what I'm doing with mine. What's the uh, what's the biggest way uh, that God God has blessed you in watching First Baptist Simpsonville's journey? Like, what, what do you when you think about it? Here's the deal: you could have gone there, you could have led them to be strong, solid, healthy, built on biblical preaching. You're a great communicator, good worship, central location. Several thousand coming weekly. You'll have a beautiful campus, a little bit more traditional campus, but you have a beautiful mm-hmm. campus. You have a beautiful worship center. You could have been rolling. And, and your job and my job would have been a whole lot easier than it is now. So when you when you think about that, what cranks your engine about this? How, how has God blessed you? Yeah, I, I think um, two, two thoughts come to my mind immediately. Um, and one is like a, just a conviction of decentralized leadership. So, so like from from my perspective, and I, I've jokingly said this, but I really do believe it. I'm, I'm I don't consider myself to be a great preacher, I, and that's not like a self insulting. I understand what you mean. Yeah, I, I mean I, I, you're being honest about yeah, your gifts. You you yeah. are a really good preacher, but I think there's some other gifts that you have that are more way off the charts. Hundred percent. So that's you know I, that's I haven't leaned into that being my greatest gift. I believe if I preach the truth. And I, and I give it my best. That is honestly. So I don't I don't want to pull back on that, but I do think decentralized leadership. God has blessed that, and it may be personality and leadership style, but He's blessed that at Simpsonville uh, in the sense that He's allowed us to grow out, not up, and and yeah. a, allowed us to grow a broad base of leadership, which I believe long term for the next twenty years we could see further growth and mm-hmm. expansion simply because that's how we started. Um, and so that's a huge part about it is decentralized leadership. But I think beyond that, the whole idea of uh, of making sure that we we have a, a constant uh, awareness that it is not about any one person. It's not about. And and I think if the culture kind of becomes that, like with uh, I mean, I could name those guys. I won't because then one of them will not get their name called. But <laughs> but all all those all those guys, I, I see amazing giftedness in in their. Um, in their, I guess, uh, gift set and their tool mm-hmm. bag, mm-hmm. but they don't want to go anywhere right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they're part of a team that, um, that I guess is is uh, like they're invested in the vision. They're part of the future. Well, they get it. They do. And so, yeah. I, and you kind of so it's a shared vision. It's not. I, if I feel like if I'd have done what I could have done and not grown out the way we have multi site wise, it would have been. I, if I had have done that, I think it would have been for my own benefit, which if that makes sense. Well, it not only makes sense, I've seen it in this state. Yeah. You know, I've seen churches build themselves around the charisma and the personality mm-hmm. of one leader. And that that's a that's a great recipe for a lot of disappointment and letdown. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's when I think about you, just just to honor you for being with us today, I think the thing I think about most is I enjoy laughing with you because of your humility. And I think that's the secret to what's happening there at First Baptist mm-hmm. Simpsonville. You've supplied the vision. 
you preach the Bible, mm-hmm. and God honors that, and your people love to hear you preach, and that's a good thing. Um, but there's always room at the table for ideas and mm-hmm. other leaders. And you and I know uh, that the greatest way for a mega church to make a 15 to 20-year run and then tank is for mm-hmm. it to be led by an ego. That's true, yeah. Who's gifted enough to grow it and to lead it and sustain it. But if it's built on his ego and his charisma and his personality and he's the end all, and you can't tell where his brand ends and the church begins, the minute Mm -hmm. he retires or falls or maybe has some sort of personal struggle and needs to step away, you watch those churches begin to decline. and, And usually it's two pastors later before they can recover. And that's why I'm so encouraged by a guy like you who's humble enough to say, I got gifts and I've got areas where other people are more gifted. Mm. And I'm going to build a team to reach as many people in Greenville and in that area. You're not allowed to come come to Spartanburg, please. <laughs> but in Greenville or that area. And 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 I th- that's what I love. I'll tell you mm. what I think. I hope uh, that a lot of people are blessed and reached through your church and my church. Mm. My long, long-term hope is that other large churches, especially in the West, that don't want to go down the path of the mega church that mm-hmm. had a wonderful run only to decline after three decades, and the Southern Baptist Convention is full of them, Sure, would take a look at this multi-site model and say, you know what? For a long time, we built some really big, beautiful churches, mm-hmm. but none of them survived more than one or two generations. But if we multiply... And we demand that our best leaders, men like Wayne Bray, n- not reproduce hear- hearers, mm. but reproduce preachers who multiply your leadership and your influence. I think that's the future of megachurches. Yeah. Well, I think decentralization of, of people is one thing, but even to your whole point, too, I think a lot of people in the, the culture is changing. They say generationally people are wanting smaller. Who knows if that's true or not? I yeah. really don't. I don't know if that's true, but I... I will say that when I was at Beulah, we literally, this is sad to say, but I'm admitting it, we built a worship center because our people were unwilling to go to two services. There's a lot of churches that are like that. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. But that that was where I come from. Right. And now we have three campuses with three services. Yeah. We have t- uh, two more campuses with two services. Yeah. So our, our average worship environment and now we have one that, uh, you know, downtown, there definitely are some that are, are larger than this, but our average is like 250 people per yeah. gathering. So you can minimize the average worship gathering by decentralizing and multiplying. That's exactly right, which then creates that authentic community, yeah. which I do think is happening. I think there's, you know, for lack of a better, I mean, there's some people who distrust scale, they dis- mm-hmm. they, or, or maybe their schools have gotten so big, the community's so busy, Sunday they'd like to go somewhere. You know, the old mm-hmm. cheers lingo where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Right, you know? right. <laughs> and so I, I, I agree with that. And I think that that's what encourages me the most. Hey, listen, it's been good to have you. Thank you, DJ, man. Always a well, pleasure to talk Thank you to for you. your friendship. Thank you for making fun of me, for reminding me of all my <laughs> failures and inefficiencies, and I'll do the best to do that with you. But I love you, brother, and I appreciate your partnership in the ministry. Love you, bro. Thanks, DJ. Hey, for those of you who are tuning in, thank you so much for participating in this podcast with Wayne Bray, the pastor of First Baptist Simpsonville. I'm DJ Horton, the senior pastor of Church at the Mill, and I hope you've enjoyed this content. There's some others coming, and there's some that you may have missed. You can always go back and listen to it, because more than ever, uh, Church at the Mill desires to be a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful multi-site church. And today, 
We've learned a lot from my brother Wayne about what that looks like. Hope this encourages you. Until next time, God bless you. <laughs>